Back to these go to eleven once again. I'm Nathan Bell. Steve Hartland sitting across from me. Steve, what's going on, man? Nothing much. Been a pretty quiet day. Worked, 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 worked. Yeah. Had dinner. Drove down here to your place. Yeah. We uh, we just came off of a marathoning session on Saturday. Uh, four podcasts in less than uh, well, in about four hours is what we did, and we are back at it again tonight. Uh, so excited for our guest that we have on tonight. We're going to introduce him in just a moment, uh, get as much time as possible with him on here. But I want to do a quick shout out to our sponsor, Mission Aware. Mission Aware, always great products. We are entering into uh, the Christmas season. It is getting closer and closer. We have been talking about Mission Aware for forever now. I think right after uh, Halloween, we started mentioning Christmas and here we are the week before Thanksgiving, uh, you mm. know, it is upon us. So uh, check out Mission Aware for all their great products. We've been highlighting the uh, the Romans poster, uh, that three-foot poster that has the whole book of Romans on it. They also have it in Greek as well. So uh, tons of great products. Check them out. Um, Steve, again, I just I want to dive right in because I'm really excited about this. I am pleased to introduce James Mead from the band Cutlass. James is the lead guitarist and backing vocals for the band. James, how are you today? I'm very well. Thank you for asking. How are you two? Oh, doing great. We are we are pumped and ready to go. We are so excited. I remember getting the email from this for uh, having you on here, and uh, I just. You know, I was just personally excited. I love your music. I love the stuff you guys do. And then I told Steve Thank about you. it, and he was like, uh, "You know, sometimes it's a little more difficult for me to arrange scheduling with Steve. We have to really kind of coordinate and plan." And I told him you were mm-hmm. going to be on, and he was like, "I don't care when he's on. I'll make time. Just yeah, let I'll me be know." There. Uh-huh. <laughs> and for those who are listening well, in, uh, Nathan and I are in Maryland, of course, where we always are in these podcasts, just north of Baltimore, a little bit. But uh, James is in, did you say it's Oregon City, Oregon? It's near Portland. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oregon City, Oregon. Um, it's one of the suburbs of Portland, Oregon. And, and um, it's pretty cool, man. I've lived here, uh, well, I've lived in Portland since 2001. All right. Um, the, spent most of my childhood here in, in Oregon. So, yeah, I live up here. Awesome. Cool. That's great. Um, James, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, I mean, you know, whatever you feel comfortable with, kind of, kind of a brief biography of yourself, you know, background growing up, things like that. We're going to, we're definitely going to spend some time getting into the musical side of, um, of what you do and, and Cutlass and your ministry and things mm-hmm. like that. But just, you know, kind of personal information, again, what you feel comfortable with, uh, you know, let us, let us get to know you sure. a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, <clears throat> at this point in my career, I'm comfortable with quite a lot, really. <laughs> I mean, I've basically spent my 
entire twenties and now into my thirties in the public limelight. So most of my story is, is already out there on the internet and stuff anyway. But yeah, I mean, um, I grew up on the East coast and then, uh, left Connecticut when I was 11 and we, my mom and I were basically fleeing from a pretty gnarly situation for me. I was, um, I was physically abused for most of my childhood Mm -hmm. from a, a stepdad stepfather person and um wow. so we were just getting away from that and mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and that you know as much as i um i remember when i was eight i eight was like a, a pivotal year for me i had an epiphany uh when i was eight that uh, i realized that i was observing a lot of people in the world who would self-identify as victims and that would be like um, what they wore on their sleeve, so to speak, you know, mm-hmm. um, the, their personhood was wrapped up in them being victimized. And, and I just, I felt like that was, um, a turning point for me because I was like, I really don't want to be that when I grow up. And, and you were eight um, thinking I really this. don't That's want impressive. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I had, um, I don't know if you guys are, are into like studying the Enneagram uh, stuff at all, like personality profiling, but um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm I a junkie. A very... Oh, cool. Good. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I'll speak more. I just took a new test that. last um, week. <laughs> nice. Cool. Well, I identify as a type two dominant, but in this phase of my life when I was eight, I had a very like five moment where I kind of went inward and introspective and really observed the world and kind of um, uh, kind of articulated my thoughts um, and feelings um, at an arm's length, I guess you could say. Um, and so I had this very like um, pivotal moment where I was like, I'm just, I'm not going to let this guy change my life, you know? And of course that was a pretty naive view of that as an eight year old, because of course he changed my life. Mm. Like I'm talking about it right now. So, <laughs> right, right. but but I, I just didn't – I knew I didn't want to identify as a victim for the rest of my life, you know? Yeah. And so um, I decided that if I was, if I was smarter than him, uh, no matter what he did to the outside of my body, if I was smarter than him and I could keep him out of my mind, then I was winning. And wow. so I would just like read everything I could get my hands on, the dictionary, encyclopedias, um, all these, you know, <laughs> to be smart novels. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh-huh. as an eight year old, that was like a coping mechanism for me. I just convinced myself that like, this is how I was protecting myself. And, um, mm. you know, at that point in, in my life, the majority of my family would have said like, yeah, we believe in God, but there was no evidence in, in any of my family members that we were like, you know, following Jesus, like maybe, maybe belief, you know, but as the scriptures say, like even Satan and the demons believe in God. So of course they believe in him. (laughs) They know him pretty intimately and they tremble. So yeah, exactly. So for us, but there was no evidence that any of us were like Jesus followers, you know? So at that stage of my life, no one was pointing me to like everlasting hope and um, mm. that peace that passes understanding that mm-hmm. Philippians talks about, you know. Yeah. So we fled. We moved to New Mexico and lived with my grandparents for a year. Then we moved to Oregon. And when we moved to Oregon, I basically decided it was time to lose my mind. And I just started, like, doing drugs all the time and, like, getting in fights. And I was, like, 
literally like worshiping anger, basically. Wow. Hey, hey, hold <clears> on. <throat> don't, don't forget where you are there, but I want to back up a second. Uh, when your mother took you and you guys fled, you're, um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure you've thought of this, you're, you're really fortunate that she did that. An awful lot of mothers choose their mate mm-hmm. over their child, and the child mm-hmm. suffers grievously because of it. And mm. yes, your mother chose you. Yeah. Man, That's it's cool. it's so unfortunate um, to to hear about those broken lives and just the the continual like shadows that these kids have to live in, you know. Mm. But yeah. yeah, my my mom is an extremely strong, brave woman. Um, she was dealing with a lot herself within yeah. that relationship, of course. Yeah. But um, basically, the moment that she was able to acknowledge that I was being abused um came about when i was 11 and and basically like i ran away for an evening uh, <laughs> um uh, yeah. and um and then i told her about it all and and we left like weeks later basically wow. yeah. um so yeah so then we moved to oregon and um you know like i said i i just i felt comfortable enough to let rage take over mm-hmm. and um looking back on that um, maybe this will sound funny to some listeners, but maybe some listeners will identify with this moment. Like I, that actually seems like it was best for me to do that at that point in my life. Like I was still relatively young. And so what I did, although it was very destructive, it led me to Jesus and I was too young to really get in trouble for it. <laughs> so like, I'm really glad that I didn't like hold on to that and resist the Lord and resist the Lord for years and years and years and then have this like meltdown as an adult, you know? So, um, yeah. So basically at age 17, um, I, I was really frustrated with the person I had become and especially looking back on that pivotal year for me as an eight year old of like, just trying to preserve myself. Mm. Um, I, uh, I broke down and, and uh, submitted uh, my my pride and sure. uh, went to church and heard the gospel message for the first time. And did um, somebody invite you? Exactly. Yeah. So I had these like really nerdy Christian friends who were always like, "Dude, we love you, man." <laughs> Thank God and for the nerdy Christian friends. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Go ahead. Keep going. I'm you sorry. Know, those are those are our people now. So <laughs> yeah. So I just I was always like, dude, I don't want to go to your stupid church, and no. I don't care how much pizza there is. <laughs> I don't care if you guys have ping pong, uh-huh. and like I don't want to do that. You know. But yeah. I I went with them, and uh, I heard the gospel via the parable of the prodigal son. which was perfect for me because I finally met my true father that night. I met God, my father. And he said to me, I know you've never uh, had a father. I know you, I know you've never understood what this means, but I am your father and I want you to follow me. I really felt the Holy spirit touching me at that part in the parable where it says that, um, that father was watching and waiting for his son's return mm-hmm. and he saw him while he was still quite a distance away yeah. and he ran to meet him where he was and he walked in the rest of the way home joyously celebrating and, and just you know hugging his son and affirming him and welcoming him back you know I love that the father ran to him 
and and there at that point of their meeting, um, he didn't reject him and push him away and accuse him. He he just walked him the rest of the way home. Mm. And the really cool thing about that parable is it's at the end of what would be called a triptych. There's three parables in a row that all talk about um, the main character finding something that was lost and celebrating because of it. And each of the stories technically doesn't have an end, uh, nor does the parable of the prodigal son. We don't actually have a conclusion to that story where they're in the house and there's a description of the party. Mm. That story ends with us thinking about this father walking his son the rest of the way home to his house. And if that's not a perfect metaphor for God guiding us through the rest of whatever, however long our life is until we get to his kingdom, his domain, his house— then uh, I, I can't find a better picture than that. So on your first night of going to church and hearing the gospel, uh, am I understanding you, you became a believer that night? I Immediately. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's funny, when yeah, I was 17, when I was 17, I came from an absolute zero Christian background. Someone invited me to church, I went, yeah. and I think the first night there, I became a believer too. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. Cool. I mean, Except mine was back was in seventy one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You weren't quite born. It was then. everything I was ever searching for. To be totally honest, like I just something? I knew that it was right right away. Same here. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Man, wow. That is that is so cool, and it's just it's so amazing how God just works in our lives. You know, good, good, bad, and ugly. Um, you know, just to, just to bring us to him and, you know, all those things, just, just working together to, to bring you and to draw you to him. And and I really, I do, I love that part of your testimony, James, where you're talking about like being young enough to make those dumb mistakes, you know, and, you know, being able to, to kind of, you know, get through those things because there are so many adults out there who will, who will make those same mistakes. But as an adult, the consequences are just, so much more severe for the actions, you know, and so it's really neat to hear how God was, you know, really keeping you and protecting you in that time, watching over you. Uh, and it's great to hear, you know, of course, about your conversion story. Somebody invited you to the church, you heard the gospel, the Lord opened your heart, you believed, uh, you bowed before him in your heart. Um, but I'm curious, you know, all the psychological damage of the years of abuse, um, different things happen to different people. Did that just somehow gradually disappear for you? Did you need professional help dealing with that? Did it go away that night? Probably not. How'd that work for you? Um, so I, I, I would say that um, especially um, pastoral or um, trained Christian counselors mm-hmm. are um, absolutely uh, integral and you know, wonderful help for people. And uh, as a Christian culture, we should be far more willing to and mm-hmm. um, and able to support not only ourselves and our loved ones, you know, spouses, friends, whomever, but also just like our brothers and sisters in church. I, yeah. I really think yeah. we need to embrace that more than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to say that before I commented directly. Um, I, I did not, I did not, do any counseling uh, with a professional counselor after becoming a Christian. I did prior to that um, earlier in my youth, um, uh, not Christian people, just, um, you know, 
mainstream psychology people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, um, you know, we mentioned earlier the Enneagram. As a type two, um, I go pretty deep with people almost immediately when I meet them. Mm-hmm. And because of being in Cutlass, I have been around uh, an amazing caliber of people mm-hmm. <laughs> for Sweet. for since I was 18. Nice. Like, wow. you know, I, I have a handful of people that I call dear counselors, dear mentors, just mm-hmm. wonderful friends of mine. Um, a few men that are maybe, you know, 10 to 15 years older than myself, maybe a little bit older than that even. Yeah. And, um, you know, Russ Lee from the band New Song is a dear friend. I view him as a mentor. Tony Nolan, he's an evangelist and an author. Um, my friend Darren Tyler, he's a pastor of a church in Nashville and was formerly our manager, like our band hmm. manager. Oh, nice. wow. uh, and then a friend of mine named Dirk Smith, he is the vice president of Eastern European Missions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just really fortunate to have um, a really great group of guys that God has amassed over the years for me um, where, where I can... I'm very honest, and and I don't really, um, especially when I'm confronted with stuff, either by someone else or myself, mm-hmm. uh, I don't really hold back at that point. So mm-hmm. um, I, I would say the way that I have dealt with it has been healthy, mm-hmm. and the way that I have dealt with it has been to lean into that peace that surpasses understanding mm-hmm. and, and to call mm-hmm. God my counselor. Mm-hmm. Um but that's why I preface that by saying I think we should, as a Christian culture, be far more willing than we are to reach out to trained professional Christian counselors in pastoral care. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, amen to that. Great words, great words, James. I would love, I would love to just um, you know talk to you for this whole time about this because I think you just, you have so much to offer people. And we have done, um, as a podcast, we've had so many different people on here talking about different topics, but I can, I can honestly say, I don't think we've ever had a guest on talking about, um, re- uh, abuse and recovery from abuse and things like that. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I really would, if you are willing, love to have you back on sometime and just solely dedicate a podcast to, to just speaking to you about that. And, uh, speaking to yeah. our listeners, um, certainly, yeah, yeah, I would, lo- I would love to do that. Awesome, um, but we we are actually we here to talk about now, huh? <laughs> um, to talk about Cutlass and uh, your your ministry with them. Um, uh-huh. And I just you know just uh, some some you know brief questions to Nathan, go over because just yeah. just before you go there, sure. can I ask him one more quick personal question? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, James, how old were you when you first picked up a guitar? Um, I was, I was 12. Um, it was when we moved away from the East coast and moved to, um, New Mexico and we, um, we were living with my grandparents. Like I mentioned, I found a, uh, an electric guitar, um, a sixties era Japanese import, um, <laughs> under the name Norma. Uh, it was like a double cutaway, semi hollow body. Uh, I found uh-huh. this electric guitar under my bed in the room they were having me stay in. And, wow. um, and so I pulled it out and I started playing it and then I would put it back and like, uh-huh. it was kind of this secret for a while. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then like one day I asked my grandma about it and she was like, Oh 
yeah, sweetie, you can totally play that whenever you want. Uh, <laughs> it was my brother. It was my brother, Mark's, and then so um, man, it's like the Lord you know, deposited the, it there for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the first guitar I ever played. And then a few years ago, my grandparents actually sent me that guitar, so I have it now. Oh, oh that's yeah. so yeah. cool! I'm awesome. gonna get it restored and like have it really playable. But huh. um, yeah, so that's when I started. And then the following summer, I worked really hard landscaping and doing chores around my neighborhood. And I saved up and I bought myself an electric guitar and an amp. Mm. And then I would just sit in my room and listen to like Smashing Pumpkins, (laughs) Nirvana, and just play along. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. early 90s. Yeah, I I bypassed (laughs) the whole acoustic thing. Like I did not even want to go there. I was like, no, I want to play rock and roll through an amp. Mm -hmm. Like this is what Uh, I want. (laughs) I want to make some noise. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. So actually, I mean, that's perfect because it kind of springboards into some of these questions that I have. Um, So you talked a little bit about, you know, um, some of the music that you listen to. So like, who would you say were your musical influences, um, growing up? Yeah. Um, so the, the most, uh, direct influences that I can hear in my own playing and how I naturally, um, like think of guitar parts or, um, guitar sounds, mm-hmm. um, would be Daniel Johns. Uh, he's from Silverchair. He was the singer and composer of most of their music um and steven richards he plays in the deftones mm. um and uh smashing pumpkins you know james yeah. eha and and billy uh just really great guitar parts in that band yeah um and then as i started to mature some more um i realized that basically all of the music my mom had had immersed me in was really really important to me too as far as how i thought of melodies so like Paul Simon, like I huh. I know every song on Graceland. Really? And huh. Billy Joel, yeah, Piano Man, I have that nice. memorized. You awesome. know? And you know, John John and Paul, of course, from the Beatles. Like so all of these bands that I was immersed in because of her love of music really, really dictated like the way I would think of melodies and stuff. Um, and then these like, you know, kind of the sound of the Northwest, these like rock and roll grunge bands that were in the nineties and stuff, um, other than silver chair, obviously is from Australia, but, um, you know, that was really like where I really, I started to understand what music meant to me, you know, Mm -hmm. that's so cool. So I was wondering if you could take us on, uh, your, your cutlass journey, so to speak, how, you know, how did you get into playing and then like what were the steps and things that kind of led you to get into and get in with Cutlass and, and start playing with them? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's interesting story actually. Um, so like I said, I started playing guitar at 12. Um, that's, uh, when I was 13, uh, this, the summer that I was still 12, we moved to Oregon mm-hmm. and, um, and that's where I really started to dig into like the Northwest kind of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. Pearl Jam, Nirvana, and all. Sure, that. yeah. Um, and um, you know, I I was actually I started a couple bands as a young adolescent, and then one of them actually stuck, and like we kind of had like our own thing. We were writing our own music, mm-hmm. and we were you know organizing and self promoting our own shows, mm-hmm. and we were. 
um, paying f to rent a storage unit that we would um, do rehearsal in and we would practice every day of the week and we would get ready for shows and we would you know save some money to go record a song or two at a professional studio from time to time how, i did that as a there? high school age kid high school right. yeah yeah i was a high school age mm -hmm. kid so this leads up and and through my conversion to christianity even mm -hmm. um so um at, at age 17 when i got signed i was still in this band and um and and we were you know, we had done pretty well locally. Like we could pull three to five hundred people for a show, yeah, um, pretty easily most nights. Mm -hmm. And um, we had a good following and stuff. And so I was doing that, and it took me a while after getting saved. It took me a while to realize that this band was like all about me and uh, not about uh, Jesus. Uh, and uh. it took me a while to realize that that was like that was a burden to me mm -hmm. to like to my soul so i started to pray through that and um to complicate the issues more um at that time in my life i was meeting pretty regularly with um this this guy who, his name is steven richards and he was in a band called taproot and they were like pretty big in the like mainstream active rock kind of sound hmm. And he was essentially helping us do pre-production to record a full-length record. Um, <clears throat> so I had this opportunity to kind of step into that realm. And, um, you know, uh, I just felt like this is, this is wrong. I can't do this. And, and I'm not saying that I don't think a Christian person can be in the mainstream uh, environment. I think they totally can. But I was a young newly saved teenager you know and um furthermore like uh my wife we've been together since then actually the, hmm. the night i got oh, wow. saved wow um and really? like i was in love with her you got and, jesus and your yeah, girl yeah, on the yeah, same yeah. night that was a great That's night right. man. yeah it was a great it was a great <laughs> night i doubled down yeah <laughs> but you know what i mean like i i uh i very much knew that i loved her and i wanted her to be my wife and and we felt the same about that and you know and we did end up getting married really young we were 20 when we got married so we've been married almost 15 years now there are so many um, similarities between your story and mine my wife and i also got married at 20 and i i got you got cool. your guitar when you were 12 i got my first drum set when i was 12 etc cetera, etc cetera. this is cool nice. to, to hear your story yeah. <laughs> but go yeah. ahead so so anyway so my senior year Basically, like the week of graduation, you know, T minus five days left. It was like the Lord was just pushing on my heart heavy, like, you're done with that band. Just say goodbye. Mm. And I was like, okay. So I had a meeting with them. and I was like, I can't do this. My, my life has to be about glorifying Jesus and him alone. Like, that is what I'm doing. Whether that's music or not, that's what I'm doing. And they're like, okay. Um, actually it was not as easy as that, but, <laughs> but I'm paraphrasing. Uh -huh. Right. Right. Um, so, uh, so that same week, some friends of mine from Albany, Oregon that had already moved up to Portland and started college and started this little band from their dorm room, they called me and they were like, Hey, uh, dude, you're not in your band anymore. Right. I was like, no. And they go, do you want to like move up to Portland for the summer and, and play with us? Like we'd really love to kind of, you know, push our sound more like how you guys were more hard rock. And so I was like, 
praying about it, and I felt a green light from the Lord. So I moved up to Portland the day after high school graduation and wow. moved in with them. And um, I started just writing music like nonstop. We all lived together in this like 1920s craftsman style home in Southeast <laughs> Portland. Nice. And I would just sort. sit in the basement like all day long and just write, 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 you know. And a lot of over half of our first record was that actually really writing yeah. in the wow. basement. And do you uh, continue yeah. to do a lot yeah, of like the writing? Probably, yeah. yeah. Yes, uh-huh. I still do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was that summer. And I was like, I was intending to go back down to Albany Corvallis area to go to Oregon state when school started. Um, and so I was kind of praying through it like, Lord, show me what we're doing. Cause this is cool. And I like this but show me what we're doing. And so I met a guy at the mall one day, um, and we introduced each, ourselves to each other because I was wearing a What Would Jesus Do bracelet. And <laughs> nice. in Portland, Oregon, with the least amount of Christians per capita <laughs> in the, world. In the entire country, yeah. <laughs> you find another Christian and you celebrate. You're like, oh my gosh, there's more of us. <laughs> so we started talking, and he, you know, I got to the part in my story where I was like, yeah, I just moved up here and I'm in a band and we sound like this and we're a Christian band. And, and he goes, Whoa, I would love to come hear you guys because my brother is Brandon evil and he owns tooth and nail records. And I was oh like, man. <laughs> so Jackpot. Seth evil. Yeah. Seth evil, his brother. Um, he and I kept in touch for a few weeks and then, um, he ended up, like all we had was like, dude, you can come over to our house because we don't have a show right now, but you can come over. And so he came over um, Tuesday, September 11th of 2001. Wow. And That's we woke up night. that morning like stoked out of our minds. <laughs> like we get to audition for a label today until we had been awake for about five minutes. And then we realized what was happening. Yeah. And we were just heartbroken. And, and I mean, I'm sure you both remember, but at that point in the morning, like no one really knew what was actually going on yet either. Like the, yeah. the first tower had been hit. The second tower is still standing. No one really knew what was happening. And the news was saying, oh, maybe it was an aviation accident. And like it was just so just this like vacuum, like no one knew what was going on. Right. Yeah. And so. Seth came over at that appointed time like we had planned, uh, and our pastor was actually over at our house too at the time. Hmm. And so we all just like prayed for a while together, and then we played some worship music together um, and just sang. And then Seth was like, well, I know today's really horrible right now, but you know, I do really want to hear your songs. So do you want to play a couple songs? And so we did, and later that night, he called Brandon and was like, these guys are great. And a week later, we were making our first demo with Aaron Sprinkle up in Seattle. Oh, and then we made man. our first five records with Aaron. And, and pinching yourself, right? Yeah. Like, can this really be happening? Wow. You know, sort of, but um, I this might cover another question because people often ask me, um, is this? would you ever have imagined that this is what you would be doing? Um, yes, like that's Hmm. exactly what I thought I would be Hmm. doing, you know? Mm -hmm. So pinching myself a little, a little bit, but not, not really. Like I, I was pretty tuned into like what God was telling me to do. Mm -hmm. And I knew like, 
this is what we're doing. You know, we're going for it. And not to mention that night of Tuesday, you know, September 11th, we were um, just reflecting on the whole day and our time spent with Seth and praying together as a band. And um, honestly, like audibly heard the voice of God um, and he spoke to us command. And honestly, he, we just heard the word go, but it meant a, th- a million more words than that to us when we heard it. Mm. And it was just like, go now because I'm preparing your path. I want you to tell people that I love them. They're going to listen to you, you know? Mm. And it was just an imperative, you know, at that moment. And we just knew that was happening. Interesting. Wow. Hey, hey, this, this podcast is obviously for us to let you talk. We ask questions, you do the talking, but let, let me make a very short interjection here if I may. So, um, I came to Christ when I was 17, like you heard, uh, but I came to Christ in a more fundamentalist atmosphere and, uh, the music I had been playing and the drums I'd been beating on were all bad. I had to get rid of my drums. I had to get rid of all my albums. I had to get rid of, and some of that was good. I needed a complete change, but anyway, for 30 years, I listened to basically nothing but classical music. And then my mm-hmm. junior high school son brought home an album one day and said, Dad, you ought to listen to this. You might like it. It was you guys. And I had listened to other Christian, wow. I had listened to other Christian rock artists, and I never thought they had much talent, frankly. <laughs> they just weren't that good. And back in those days, you know, there wasn't much. You guys were the very first yeah. band I heard that I said – Hey, that's good music. <laughs> so thank you for that. Wow. Wow, thank you. I, what a tremendous compliment. I appreciate that a lot. You know, that's funny. Like, I actually, part of the other music my mom really immersed me in growing up was classical music. Oh. Um, and my first instrument was violin and then viola. And then I learned all of the brass instruments uh, from my grandfather after that. But wow. that was simultaneously wow. while I was learning guitar. That's cool. A well-rounded yeah. guy. Man, that's that's so cool and it's, you know, it's so awesome to to hear your story. I mean, for our listeners, um, you know, hopefully you've been listening since the beginning, but if for some reason you decided to kind of skip ahead, you know, through the podcast, we were talking with James Mead of Cutlass and um James, part of the reason why we're talking to you is because of the new release of the record Alpha um Alpha Omega. Um and you know, just some some questions here about um about the record, if you could focus in, um, there are uh, twelve songs on the album, and uh, want to talk about "King of My Heart." Um, I was just wondering if you know you could you could just talk to us about that one um, a little bit here. Some of the ones you're doing are um, you know covers of of ones you've done before. "Strong Towers" on here, and yeah, by how, the way, how will the new "Strong Tower" differ from the one we all know? We'd like to hear that too, if you yeah, can. yeah, okay. <laughs> so. The- um, so yeah, let's start in order of what you said. King of my heart. Yeah. Um, so that one was written by uh, a good friend of ours, John Mark McMillan, and his wife. He's a good friend. Uh, hey. And they are from Charlotte. Yep, Charlotte, North Carolina. Huh. Um, and if your listeners are not familiar with John Mark's music, I would recommend that they go get his album yes. right now. Yes. <laughs> Um, he's got an incredibly beautiful tenor voice. Um, the first time I heard him before I ever met him, I actually had this vision of like a, a bear singing to me is what it (laughs) sounded like. Um, 
and then you know I got to meet him and got to know him and and I just love him now but um yeah so John Mark is so rad um and he's written uh some incredible songs that um I can almost guarantee a lot of your listeners uh have heard other bands play and they love those songs so mm-hmm. go listen to John Mark McMillan he wrote King of My Heart um and honestly um I think the the best um the best worship songs uh, that sounds so dumb the best worship songs <laughs> what does that even mean um worship songs that really connect for me at least okay the way i'm wired and 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 i guess the very visceral emotions that i need to deal with when worship is the right thing for me um those songs tend to be more um exaltation based rather than introspection because introspection is like 99% of my day. It's my head game. Like, (laughs) so I'm constantly thinking about like what I should say, how people are going to feel about it, what I can say to them to make them feel better about themselves. It's like Hmm. constant. There's like this narrative the entire time. And I've noticed that there's sort of been a trend over the last five years or so um that worship music is very introspective it's like it's time for me to tell you lord how i'm feeling deep inside uh, um yeah. and that's okay like god should be the one that we talk to about that stuff and some but of the psalms do that so i'm that's sorry okay. anywhere you look in scripture yeah for sure yeah you know but anywhere you look in scripture where worship is mentioned especially scenes of worship in heaven it is no one says anything about themselves. Yeah. It's all about there's Jesus. Wow. You know, it's like, honestly, the, it's more like a, a rock concert than anything else. Like, Oh my gosh, Bono just walked out on stage. You know, <laughs> like that's what, that's what the Bible depicts worship as. It's like, there's Jesus. He is greatly to be praised. Like there he is, the one who takes away the sins of the world, you know? Yeah. Um, and to me, like I love the song King of My Heart because it's like you're never going to let me down. You're never going to let me down. Mm-hmm. You know, you are the king of my heart. Like yeah. it's awesome, you know? We so, sing that song at our church, yeah, so I'll look forward to hearing your new version of it. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Um, and then, yeah, Strong Tower uh, – um, in parentheses, it's titled Reprise, mm-hmm. uh, which is a nerdy musical term. <laughs> um, and I'm sure if you grew up listening to classical music, you understand what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, we basically returned to that song, uh, obviously with the same melody intact. Um, but we wanted to like redo Strong Tower mm-hmm. um, and and it was actually immensely challenging to approach that song um, differently. Dude, like how to think I've about been playing it that song since 2005. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I was like, well, this is the guitar I would play it with anyway. So how am I supposed to play a different part? You know, so mm. we, we just redid the entire song really uh, musically and arrangement wise. Um, mm, can't wait. and I think it's really neat. It's really, it's really modern and I really like it. Hmm. Yeah. I got a, um, and of course I, and of course I can't fail to mention, 
um, Riley Friesen, who produced our album. I mean, Riley being at the helm with a lot of those changes, especially him being able to think more outside of the box and not feel so like uh, bound to that song personally like we were. Mm. Um, Riley really helped direct a lot of those things uh, throughout the whole record. So um, a lot of that like real modern spin on where worship is at, um, Riley brought that to the table with his skills. And um, and then like, you know, I just, I played all the guitar parts so that it just sounded like us, you know? Yeah. yeah cool. Hey, yeah. forgive me for not knowing this. Has this album dropped or, and if not, where can I get a foretaste? Yeah. Yes, you it's can out. get it everywhere, okay. and it dropped on November 10th. All right, cool. Correct. November 10th was its street date. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I had a, uh, an opportunity to listen to this. Um, uh, you know, that's one of the perks of um, doing the podcast is we get sent press kits and things like that, and so I have an opportunity to listen and, oh, great. Um, you know, accept or deny um, at my discretion. Um, even before I heard the record, I was like, <laughs> Cutlass, yes, I want them yes. on. <laughs> um, and one of the things that I just, I love about your music is just how scripture heavy it is. It is just, it's so great to be singing through scripture and, and doing it, mm. um, in a, in a more modern way, in a more modern take. And I mean, I've got to be honest with you. I don't know if this will be a compliment or not, but I, I grew up listening to Petra. I, I, I even still today, <laughs> I love Petra. One of the things that I love True about them time. is that, um, they are just so scripture heavy in their music. And that is just one of the things that I absolutely love about yeah. them. And that's a connection that I make with them. Obviously different styles of music. And of course, you know they came you know they kind of peaked so sure. many years ago but um you know you have that feel i feel like um where man i just mm. i love listening to to the scripture that's in this song and i love I love the way that you take the words and arrange them so that I'm, I, you know, when I go to the actual verses that you are singing about, I can see that in the verses, you know, and of course, musically and stylistically, some things are different, but it's like, man, I can, I can see this in the scripture. I can yeah. see this when I'm reading it. And so I just, I just love that about you guys cool. and how you do that. It's also Thank nice you. that that's another song. Strong well, Tower. Strong Tower is another song that is not about me and my introspection. Yeah. It's about who he is. Right. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. From, yeah, from the book of Judges, you know. So, um, well, first of all, I want to address a couple of things you just said, uh, Nathan. Um, So, thank you. And I certainly do uh, take that as a compliment. Um, You're actually not the first person to compare us in that way to Petra. And it's really (laughs) funny that that comes to mind pretty often for people. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, um, I was I was not into Christian music at that time when they were, you know, at, like you said, at their peak. Yeah. So um, I, I kind I kind of don't have that connection to them, but right. I think they must have been a really and I've heard their music obviously, but um, they must have been a really special band to a lot of people because people still still bring that up to us, which oh, is nice. really cool. Um, and honestly. One of our most powerful songs we play live that actually connects with people really well is um, it's called Take Me In. 
uh, Take Me Into yes. the Holy of Holies. Yeah. Yes. That was, uh, that was a Petra song, yes. which was actually an huh. ancient uh, Jewish tradition song that was sung ages and ages ago. Hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we redid that on Strong Tower yes. uh, from 2005, that album. But, um, you know, the, the main point I wanted to address was um, how Cutlass has always been and uh, we will continue to be scripturally focused. Mm. Um, that is actually a little bit of our background, kind of peeking through the curtain, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, at our churches here back home, um, back, yeah, back home here in Portland, Oregon, we go to this church called Athey Creek Christian Fellowship. Um, and that name doesn't mean anything. It's just the name of a creek nearby. Right. <laughs> but um, it came it came from you know, a few steps removed from the Jesus movement in the 60s mm-hmm. uh, down in Southern California. Chuck Smith yep. uh, was this pastor that started the Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapels. And that's yeah. really big on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and very commonly, um, there's these songs that are really well known in Calvary Chapel circuits, sort of like Church of God has like a lot of their own songs. You mm-hmm. know? Same thing with like Calvary Chapel. Um, but they're all like verbatim scripture because people were really, really adamant about that yeah. when they started writing those songs in the early Calvary Chapel movement. Um, so a lot of that has influenced us for sure. So that's mm-hmm. what I mean. You see that kind of peeking through the curtain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then specifically, we put out an album called Glory, and this was a couple albums ago now, but mm-hmm. that um, we were studying the book of revelation at our church, um, and the end times eschatology. And we were putting that in the context of like current sociopolitical headlines from around the world and all that. But we were studying, um, verse by verse that through the Bible and we were going verse by verse through revelation. And that's when we were writing the album glory, because like I mentioned earlier, there's these beautiful scenes you know, chapter four and chapter five, there's these beautiful scenes of heavenly worship depicted mm. for us. We see the the nations gathered like a sea of glass before the throne of God. And, and we're all singing these songs of praise and all the heavenly hosts are singing the same words with us. And so we wrote glory as like, honestly, like a concept worship album. And if you get the physical CD of glory, um, the liner notes go verse by verse through all the songs and it was meant to be like a bible study that you listened to um so if you ever get your hands on that open up the booklet inside and and flip to all the verses as you're listening to the songs because that's what we meant for that to be nice man that's that's so great and i i do really want to be um aware of your time here um just so generous of you to uh Come on and share that with us. Just a, uh, just one more thing I want to touch on because you um, have had a tremendous impact, particularly um, in Eastern Europe, and you have your um, EOTA ministry, end of the age ministry um, yeah. that you do. And so, can you can you talk to us a little bit um, about that and and what you're doing um, with with that? Sure. And, and particularly, again, particularly the impact that that's having over in uh, Eastern Europe. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, in 2012, you know, we had been a band for a while at this point, 
and we were we're kind of going through a little bit of like a self-reflection phase because you know our kids were growing up and we like really wanted to be home <laughs> right and we were thinking to ourselves like what what is all of this this platform and this success what is it really for yeah. like am i using this to like stand on stage and get cheered at every night so i feel like i'm doing awesome or uh, because if that's the case i need to just go home right or um does god have a plan for where he's directing us um cuz at that point we felt like are we done you know um hmm. but um we felt the lord answer our prayers at that time with um um just directing us to matthew chapter 28 so there at the end of matthew jesus says to his disciples just the last the last few verses he says what's referred to as the great commission mm -hmm. uh he commissions his disciples to go therefore throughout all the earth um baptizing uh in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit make disciples of all nations he says come teach all these things i have commanded you and then he says i will be with you to the end of the age which is a really cool promise um, because if you study the original text, it starts off with an imperative, um, and the language that he uses when he says "go," therefore, it's akin to what like uh, the general of a great army would say. Mm -hmm. It's like a command, "go," right? Mm -hmm. But then at the end of it, he promises that he will be with us to the end of the age. You know, mm -hmm. which harkens back to Joshua. Mm -hmm. You know, the first chapter of Joshua. God says, you know, I'm commanding you to enter into the promised land, Joshua, um, and everywhere you will step your foot, I have already given it to you, he says. So he's inviting us there in Joshua's story, um, and Joshua is often seen as a uh, an image type of Jesus to come. Um, he's giving us this beautiful promise of, like, I've already given you victory and I will be with you to the end of the age. Mm -hmm. And so we started End of the Age Ministries um, with this vision that we would facilitate doing Cutlass concerts as outreach concerts and tours that were entirely free to the public. And within our concert itself, we would make the preaching of the gospel uh, imperative and uh, immersive. Mm. So what I mean by immersive is this. Um, if you go see U2 live, um, Bono at a certain point starts to talk about the One campaign and his vision for helping Africans, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that is seamlessly woven into their show. And only a professional would probably realize that from the beginning of the show to that very moment, Everything has been leading up to that. Hmm. The production has accentuated that. Uh, the arc of the emotional roller coaster they're going on with the songs themselves and the lineup all leads to that moment hmm. so that people are paying attention and they're listening, you know? Yeah. And so we were like, we should do that with the gospel because that is infinitely more important. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So that's what we do in our shows now. The gospel is woven in at certain points, and then we get to a, a major. Uh, intersection where we share the gospel um, 
and it's and it's quick and concise and we invite people to actually receive Christ and pray for salvation right there mm-hmm. um, and there's a technology component that we've designed uh, an app that interacts with them in that moment oh, wow. uh, but mainly um, we we started to really see this blossom when we were invited to go to Ukraine in 2015 as you mentioned um, and we got to do six cities in Ukraine on that first tour there. Wow. And they ended up being the biggest evangelical outreach concerts that that country has ever had. Oh, and uh, in two cities in particular, we were the first people ever to share the gospel in that city. Wow. Ever. Like oh, in man. public, like out outside in public, right? Yeah. Oh. And then we came back the next year and we played 11 cities <laughs> and there was like – 20,000 people, 30,000 people, you know, at some of these shows, like everywhere we went, there's tens of thousands of people. And on average, we see about 40% of the crowd receive Christ every night, make decisions to follow Christ every night. So approximately 100,000 people total. So that's like 40,000 people got saved on that tour. And um, we also do a lot of like networking with the churches. So there's follow up and discipleship. And all of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're currently in a strategic fundraising campaign to raise money to go back to Eastern Europe. And we're going to hit some of those same countries we've been to um, and possibly have the privilege of going to a few more. Nice. But we're aiming for 2019. Um, and uh, God's opening a lot of doors, and it's really cool. And if you want to learn more about it, go to eotaministries.com. And you can find out how to support us there. Awesome. And what we will because it's uh, free to public, but that still costs a lot right. of money for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and what we will definitely do is on the um on the link to this podcast, um I have uh I have followed um the band Cutlass on Twitter. Um I have just tonight before we went on this podcast, I personally started following you and the other members of the band. And so I'm going to link all of that stuff onto this so that the listeners have easy access and can just click on those links. Um, and shoot right over to those ministries so that they cool. um, they'll be able to have that easy access and and, and help support you in that because I, that's just so awesome um, having that heart and passion for for missions. So yeah, hey, this is a one off, but uh, have you guys been to Romania? I just have this thing in my heart for Romania. That's awesome. We have not been to Romania, but it is a neighboring country to Ukraine mm-hmm. and. We are focused on um, the opportunities and experiences that, that we feel like God is preparing us to share with the people of Eastern Europe. So nice. we'd love, love to go to Romania. Love it. Yeah. Oh, that is so great. And James, it's just been um, it has been so awesome having you on once again, you know, just, I want to be so mindful of your time. You've already generously, um, gone over what, you know, we had, um, we had initially scheduled you for. And so thank you so much for, for taking that time. Um, you know, normally I, uh, I shoot it over to my co-host Steve for, uh, you know, kind of some last words here, but I just, I want to kick it over to you. Um, you know, because there was so much that we wanted to cover and didn't cover, but I, I really feel like, um, the things that you talked about both personally and within the band were just um, worth mentioning and worth putting out there. And so just any last thoughts or comments um, from you, James, before we um, take the time to sign off here? Um, 
No, you know what? <laughs> I mean, the the only thing I could ever say that is uh, of any worth is that um, if anyone's listening and you've never heard of this marvelous story of the grace and love of God, mm. you just need to know that Jesus loves you so much. You right now, who's listening, you know, and everything that has ever happened is all about this moment where you realize that he has been pursuing you and he has a plan for your life and he loves you. So, um, that's, I mean, that's it. That's all I could ever say that would be worth anything. So awesome. that's my closing statement. <laughs> James, awesome. I've really enjoyed this time with you. It's, uh, I, I've especially appreciated the, the depth of your faith. Thank you for that. Nice. Thank you. I appreciate that as well. All right. All right, you guys. Great talking to you. Thanks. Thank you. We're going to go ahead and sign off now. Gentlemen, we just rocked the Casbah. These go to 11.